as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the six-fold and- Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I am Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot, also Big Shiny Robot And oh boy, do we have... We had a week of movies. I think that uh, might about sum up how we feel about <laughs> they, the ones we got to see. They are moving pictures. That they are moving pictures, out. and that's about the best thing we can probably say about them. <laughs> uh, so what's really funny is uh, the one day this week I had to choose between going to see Love the Coopers, which I'm going to talk about shortly, and My All-American, which Andy's going to talk about. So we kind of had to choose the, which cup of Christ was ours. And I chose poorly. You got, um, the, you got the short end of that stick. Oh you. my God. Um, yeah. So love the Coopers. Uh, it's a bit early in the season for a holiday movie. Uh, that being said though, a bit, a bit as much as, you know, Christmas and holidays and everything has kind of been overrun with commercialism and it's just become hectic and, you know, some of us who work in industries like retail, it kind of takes the magic out of it because you're just going crazy. Um, all that said, I still love Christmas movies. Christmas Vacation, Christmas Story, uh, Home Alone, The Family Stone, Love Actually. You know, these are movies I can sit down every, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. Every it's single a wonderful year. wonderful life. Every, yeah. every. As, as cliched as some of those movies are, I can still sit down year in, year out, and absolutely love them. In fact, for those who are interested, they just came out with a completely remastered Blu-ray digital copy version of Christmas Vacation. So if you don't own it or want to see the nice spruced up version, um, now would be the time to pick that up because it's really cheap. So Love the Coopers desperately, desperately wants to be included in this list of must-watch holiday movies. Uh, the best way I can say it is, from here on out, naughty children should get this movie in their stocking instead of Cole. It is absolutely, fantastically, horrendously abysmal, excruciating to watch, and easily one of the worst of the year. And I, and Andy and I are both voting members for the Razzies, and I really hope you see it, not because I, want, I wish horrible things on you, but I really want you to understand why this movie is probably worthwhile saying it's the worst movie of the year oh yeah awesome i hated it worse than 50 shades of gray i would rather see a double feature of pixels and the fantastic four than to ever ever experience this movie again uh the plot of what there is of it uh centers around grandma and grandpa cooper who are played by diane keaton and john goodman who are both good actors John Goodman does great things. Diane Keaton, um, again, one of my favorite actresses. And they're trying to plan one final big Christmas get-together with their kids and her sister and the family um, because they're going to get a divorce. After 40 years of marriage, they're calling it quits because apparently he wanted to go to Africa for a trip years and years ago, and she said no, and he's bitter, blah, blah, blah. Who the hell cares? That's really bleak for a Christmas movie. Yeah. um, It's... So they're playing that, and, you know, it, it's, okay, so they want to get the family together for Christmas. That's a good storyline. I mean, that happens in, you know, again, we go back to Christmas Vacation. It's all about having the wacky family come in. Except the wacky family are all dumb. Um, Olivia Wilde 
is their daughter and she doesn't trust anyone and just is looking for signs of affection between other people because her fiance cheated on her and she found out. So she's staying, she's coming uh, back home from the airport and she's stuck there for, I don't know why, because she doesn't know how to drive. I, I don't know. They never explain why she's hanging out at the airport. Uh, and she meets this uh, soldier, Jake Lacey, who's you know going off to Afghanistan, going off to war. And you know immediately starts berating him because he's a conservative and makes fun of him because he's going to go put his life online for the country. I don't know why you would do that. Uh, but for some reason, he thinks What's it's charming and, and just thinks, oh, well, let's hang out and talk some more. Maybe I'll fall in love with you. And it's... So she convinces him to come home to pretend to be her boyfriend because her mom will give her crap if she comes home alone because she's getting older now and she may marry her. I don't know why. It's never explained. Time, time out. Time out. If you came home and like, oh, hey, here's my boyfriend that I've never told you about. Don't you think you'd get like more crap from your parents? That, like, oh, and it gets better, too. The moment, they get, the moment they get home, he's like, oh, and we're engaged. Yeah, it's... Uh, okay, so that's that one thing. Ed Helms is the other son. He just got divorced from Lois from Family Guy, and he's upset because he has no job and can't pay alimony. But we don't care because he's annoying. Um, Marissa Tomei is the Diane Keaton's sister, who is a habitual shoplifter. She gets caught stealing something, gets arrested, and she's being taken to jail by a cop played by Anthony Mackie, you know, the Falcon. We, we like Anthony Mackie. He was one of the better parts of our Brandis crisis. Yeah. Uh, so he's taken her to jail, and, and all of a sudden, she decides, because she's a life coach, to start dissecting his personality. And there's this whole scene where he opens up and explains how he's gay and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And then, because why the hell not, he lets her go and lets her go home to family Christmas. It doesn't matter if she's being taken to jail for shoplifting. Uh, I, I'm just sitting here sighing, listening to you explain this. Like, I can't imagine actually sitting in a theater watching this. Uh, it's, it, and it's everyone is just so nasty and childish and selfish. And everything that Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, all the holidays wrapped into one, it's the antithesis of what... Of, of what real families are. I mean, yes, all families have problems. Everyone has issues. Um, but these these people are just, if you met them on the street, you'd want to slap them just walking by, hearing their conversation. They're just, it's, they're all horrible people. And the best part, and I haven't even told you the best part yet, it's being narrated, kind of like Christmas Story was. Um, and Steve Martin is the voice of the narrator. And... Spoiler alert, because I really don't give a crap. Uh, it's the family dog. Wait, what? The family dog is the omniscient narrator who says what's going on, despite the fact the dog's at home the whole time, and 90% of this movie doesn't take place in the house. <laughs> well, you know, dogs are pretty magical, especially at Christmas time, so... It was like the, the writers went and read too many bad Dean Koontz novels and came at the end like, let's have the dog narrate, because reasons. Uh, it's it's bad. I and mean, we were sitting there, and both Eddie and I were just like, oh, my God, oh, this is horrible. And in the middle of it, and I would lost track of time, thinking hopefully it was almost over, because an hour and 48 minutes, it's way too long. Brooks, who we all know from Beyond the Show, leaned back, he whispers, we're only 50 minutes in. And I 
gosh. Use some very vulgar language that I'm sure the old biddies next to me were not very happy about, but I don't care. Um, this movie is horrible. There's no plot. The actors are slumming. I'm assuming they're being, they were blackmailed into being in this movie. Uh, it's not good. Do not go see this. This movie will make you hate Christmas, hate your family, and possibly your dog. Uh, zero out of ten. This is abysmal. It's horrible. It's the worst thing I've seen all year. Wow. Okay, so question slash prediction. Does Ed Helm sing? No, because he's only in the movie for all of two minutes. Like, oh. He's got three scenes, and he only has five lines. Oh, so he doesn't continue his streak of contractually obligated, unnecessary songs in a comedy movie. Oh, no, well. he doesn't. Oh well. Um, although Alan Arkin's in it, and you know Alan Arkin and John Goodman were fantastic in in Argo. Yeah. And Alan Arkin, I believe he's the great grandfather. Couldn't really figure that out. And he's hitting on Amanda Seyfried, who's this waitress at this cafe he goes to, and he gets angry because she is leaving to move somewhere. And then they, he professes her love for her. Oh, and I forgot about this part. So he professes his love for her, and all of a sudden the narrator pops up and says. She can see him now, you know, through her eyes, what he would have looked like at her age. And it's some douchebag hipster dude with, like, a beard and a man bun. And there's a couple scenes where there's involved some teenage kids who are trying to hit on a girl for the first time and get his first kiss. And the narrator says, oh, and he literally froze and shattered. And then his character with really bad CGI literally freezes and shatters. This happens twice in the movie. For no good damn reason. Like, I, I could spend another hour... I could probably spend the running time of the movie dissecting this and saying how bad it is. And I actually, I think we should one day sit down, you and I, and riff it. And actually do an episode where we just sit and rip on this movie. And that episode will be not safe for kids. It'll not safe for work because this movie is that horrible. Shame on everyone in it. They should all be punched in the gonads. Wow. That just sounds like a cliche wrapped in tropes, wrapped in awfulness. So, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas, mother effers. (laughs) Speaking of cliches. And uh, apparently this was at least a better cliche from what I saw. This is a better cliche uh, from the writer of Hoosiers and Rudy. So, he's got a good pedigree. And I Uh, love Rudy. Yeah. Written, written and directed in this case, um, we have My All-American, which is the true story of little Freddie Steinmark. Aww. Uh, yeah, literally little Freddie Steinmark. Uh, the, whole, the whole point is, is he's too little to play football, so you get a little bit of the, the Rudy. But Freddie, Freddie. He works so, so hard, and he's, he has so much heart, and... He, he understands the plays and he practices so hard and so he just exceeds everyone's expectations. But see, um, I have lots of heart and I try really, really hard and I will never be a Broadway performer. <laughs> so that's just me. But yeah, continue. Sorry, I'm just... Yeah, no. So um, this, is, this is a true story. Um, this was back in uh, the late 60s. Uh, Freddie Steinmark played for the University of Texas. And uh, I will I will tell you right now that the the screening that I went to of this was hosted by the Texas X's, which is the alumni group for uh, the University of Texas. And um, 
you know, I I sometimes put like content warnings or trigger warnings on movies. Um, if you are a fan of Texas A and M, the University of Oklahoma, or any other team, and you really hate Texas football, you're gonna hate this movie. Oh, I will never see it then. It it plays like an hour and a half long recruiting movie for UT and how amazing they are and how great their football team is even though this was back in the late 60s early 70s um, there it is very cliche riddled as I mentioned from you know the the basics of the story of oh he's the little guy but he has so much heart but this is literally the opening of the movie present day beautiful helicopter shot over the University of Texas campus. And I'm like, oh, that's my backyard. I love it. I, I can see my work office from there. Yay. <laughs> and, 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 oh, a little doe-eyed uh, reporter for the Daily Texan walks into the offices of the athletic department to talk to Aaron Eckhart in old man makeup and saying, you were one of the best coaches that the University of Texas has ever had and who was the best All-American player you ever had? Well, um, the best player I ever had was Freddie Steinmark. But (laughs) Coach, Freddie Steinmark wasn't one of your All-Americans. No, I guess he wasn't. But if every player played like Freddie Steinmark, then... Cut back to 1960 <laughs> Colorado and see him growing up, and it's just like that was the worst opening of any serious movie I've ever seen. And it's too bad because there's there's a lot good in here, and this is actually a good story, a good true story. Um, that if it had been told a little bit better, it might have been a better movie which is which is kind of too bad um but the story is very cliched and i feel bad like not caring about the emotional ending to it because it it just it it bordered on being really hackneyed but since it was a true life story i feel bad saying that that like oh your life was a cliche freddie steinmark but mm-hmm. yet um so i don't know it it was incredibly predictable to me exactly where this movie was going um and i think you can kind of guess if i tell you it's a cliched sport movie that there are one of two possible endings for this movie. Uh, Adam, would you like to guess what those two endings possibly are for a cliched sports movie? Either he becomes an all-star or he dies and everyone remembers him and fights on. One of those is the answer. <laughs> I think we all know the answer. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and if obviously if you went and looked at like the Wikipedia page for uh, all of this, then you would know what the true story or even maybe the beginning of your review. Um. Yeah. So (laughs) anyway, but uh, this was a, um, yeah, it, it wasn't so much a bad movie, but the, the cast is kind of unremarkable with the exception of Aaron Eckhart. There's really not anyone else in here that you're going to recognize. Uh, 
you've got uh, Robin Tunney, who was uh, in The Craft and Empire Records and The Mentalist. So, I mean, if you're like a big fan of hers, but she's a she plays Freddy's mom. And uh, the guy playing Freddy, um, if you were a fan of American Horror Story Hotel, uh, he was in that season. Uh, Finn Wittrock. Um, hmm. But yeah, if, if you haven't been paying attention, he's not a bad actor. Um, most of the kids in this movie are not bad actors, but um, you, they definitely made this movie for little to no budget and the fact that the highest named actor in it is Aaron Eckhart who is hardly a household name uh, tells you exactly what you need to know about it that being said I love Aaron Eckhart um, oh yeah thank you for smoking it's one of my favorite movies ever so yeah and uh, we, we gotta stick together me me and uh, me and Aaron uh, Cougar alumni there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um yeah, uh, not a great movie, not a horrible movie, lots of cliches, uh, so I ended up at like a 4 out of 10. So it almost sounds like you're saying this is kind of like an after-school special that was should have been on TV, but ended up on the big screen. Um, not only should have been on TV, should have been on the University of Texas like promotional materials that they send out to like, tell you what a great school that they are, like... Um, it it feels almost like a propaganda piece, <laughs> which I mean, if you take if you take uh, uh, college football that seriously, you might uh, see it that way. Uh, I remain agnostic about that, even though uh, the University of Texas is the the home team here in town. So this is very true. Yes, yeah. I've been there one time to see Avenue Q, so I can say the. Uh... One of the geekiest thing I could possibly do on the University of Texas campus was to go see a musical about puppets. So, <laughs> um, so actually, that, that segues very nicely into the, the 33, which is based on the 2010 Chilean mine disaster when the mine collapsed and the miners were stuck inside for you know a very very long time. Um, everyone had given up on them for being dead, but they managed to survive against the odds. Ration food out, very, very, um, you know, skeleton, bare bones rations. Um, eventually, they were able to dig through, get to them, get them food and water, and then eventually rescue them from the mine. I think we all kind of remember that story. It was pretty remarkable that these people were able to live so long in the depths of the earth when there was no hope. So the 33 is the big screen telling of that story. Uh, and despite the fact that there are some big names, uh, well, at least one big name, Antonio Banderas, um, it really feels like a made-for-TV movie that, for some odd reason, they decided to put in thousands of screens across America. Uh, so Antonio Banderas plays Mario Sepulveda. He ended up being kind of the leader of the miners who are trapped down there. But the movie starts out, you know, the day before. The, I think they're at someone's quinceañera or something like that. And kind of introduces us to all the different characters. Um, Mario Antonio Banderas is a loving husband. One of them, his wife's going to have a kid soon. The other one's, you know, the, you know, he's cheating on his wife, that old bastard kind of thing. And everyone loves him. And his mistress and his wife, you know, fight over him, but both love him. And it's all very cliched. One guy's going to retire in two weeks. 
So they kind of have this lame attempt to get us to like these characters before, you know, they go to the depths of the mine. There's a cave in and they're trapped and they might die. So it's, it's a really lame attempt to get us to like them. I guess is the nicest way to say that. Uh, but yeah, so they, they're stuck down there and they're, they're trying to survive and they somehow made it to the shelter. But of course, because this is down in South America, um, there was really lax security in the mine lacks preparation so when they get to the kit that's there for miners who are trapped in a cave-in there's like three cans of tuna some biscuits very little water basically they they have enough supplies to last i think 10 men for five days and there's 33 of them i'm gonna interrupt you there because let's let's just remember that even in american mines we do not have a very good record with safety and um uh, mining disasters. So, oh no, this is very true. But yeah, but that's kind of that's that's the whole uh, thing. They really they they're really pushing hard, and actually, I'll explain kind of in the epilogue how that plays into um, the story. So they're down there trying to you know find some way to survive, saying, "Hey, they'll come for us. They'll come for us." Uh, anyways, the Ministry of Mining for Chile is up there. He's joined by Gabriel Byrne, who we all know from the Usual, Usual Suspects. He's there as one of the best drillers on earth to drill down, <clears throat> get to where they are, and get them food and water and whatever they need. Um, needless to say, we all know the story. You know, they do actually get down there. They do keep them alive. They eventually get them out, and everyone's happy. And you know, and it was a big day. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to downplay the fact that these 33 men really went through hell and survived and came out. You know, to be you know to be alive. You know, nowadays that's that's a huge thing because, like you mentioned. Even up here, when there have been cave-ins, we've lost people. We've lost miners. And so the fact that they were able to pull together and survive is, is pretty cool. The problem with this whole movie, though, is it's so undeniably, dreadfully boring. Um, like I mentioned with Love the Coopers, when Brooks leaned over and said, we're 50 minutes in, he did the same thing with this movie. He's like, we have an hour left. <laughs> uh, it's This movie should have been a documentary. I mean, obviously, we... We, we, there weren't cameras down there. We couldn't have filmed what was going on. Um, there are some scenes where they put a, you know, like a, a computer down there so they could. But somehow got a computer down there through a tiny hole. I don't know how they did that. <clears throat> so the miners could Skype with their friends, loved ones, and how they got internet. They don't really explain either. Um, so it's it's a again a fictionalized retelling of a real event that was, you know, a really cool thing for humanity to be that hey this happened, they survived. Um, the reason why I brought up the whole unsafe mining thing was in the epilogue, they actually show all 33 miners who are still alive to this day and explain that, you know, they did sue the mining company saying, Hey, you had, um, you know, they, they had these security features. They, they, in the movie, they show these mirrors they put up or glass that when the rocks, you know, shift or the mountain shifts a certain way, they break. And it's almost like the old the way of bringing a canary in the mine was that this is a warning sign. Things are shifting. Be careful because things could collapse. And it was overlooked. Um, they also said, you know, hey, we got down there. There was no supplies for us. So we think that, you know, you should owe us some money for what happened. And they actually went to court and they lost. So what? that was, yeah, they, they lost. Wow. Yeah. So that was kind of a big deal. And I haven't, I have to go research this. So please take this with a grain of salt. Um, but from what I heard there, the same thing is happening with this movie. 
that even with this movie, the miners aren't getting paid what they should. Um, again, this is a total grain of salt. I heard it from, from a, another critic friend of mine, so I have to actually go through and vet it. But if that's the case, it, don't go see this movie. I mean, that's that's just a horrible thing to say about anything. You know, this movie was made to shine a light on their tragedy and what they went through, and even that's not benefiting them. Um, it could be some deal they have, like they're, they have a back end deal. Who knows what it is? Again, I haven't fully researched it, but. Yeah, it's it's overall it's really slow paced. It's very boring. Really, they fake make you try to care about the characters. It should have been a documentary, or at the very least, a made-for-TV movie. Um, so, like you are with Mile American, I'm at a four as well. Wow, I'm I'm gonna have to hold my tongue on most of this because professionally, I have opinions about uh, coal and coal mining. So. Um, but that does not sound like a intriguing movie, and it's uh, it's unfortunate that you know I when when I first heard about this, I'm like, eh, I don't really want to go see a movie about about this. This just happened a few years ago. I don't really need a movie of it. Mm-hmm. Then I saw the trailer, and I'm like, hmm, Antonio Banderas looks pretty good. That uh, that looks like it might be pretty interesting. That's uh very sad to hear that they didn't even capture like the because I I remember when this was going on like the day-to-day updates and like oh they're gonna rescue them and but it's gonna be a week or whatever Mm -hmm. it it was a big deal I mean it was it was the same thing as like when the um when the oil rig exploded in the gulf the deep water horizon and like every day we're looking at what the you know what the update was on the disaster except with this it's people and Mm -hmm. um so that's that's really sad that they weren't able to capture that human drama it seemed like that should have been a slam dunk yeah and and there were some interesting things like there's a part when they're all together waiting to be actually rescued from the cave-in where but they do have communication with the service and all of a sudden you know they're learning that uh antonio banderas character has been offered a book deal um and they're all like, well, why are you offering this? Like, why aren't we being taken care of? Because he was the one who kind of stood up as the leader for what was going on down there. So there's there are a few good parts thrown in. There's kind of a fun scene where they're all down there eating their very last little bit of what's essentially tuna water. I mean, they have no food. So they each get like one ounce of tuna and they're all there and kind of fantasizing about, you know, being at this big table with their loved ones and their you know, wives or girlfriends or kids are bringing them their their favorite food to eat and it was actually kind of a joyful scene which was a nice kind of break from everything that was happening uh, it was unnecessary but at least it was something different than just people sitting there you know being mopey or you know I mean, no we'll, we'll survive and yeah it's it, again it's if you want to see it go rent it pick it up at Redbox um, it's not a horrible movie it was definitely the best one I saw this week, <laughs> if that is any consolation. Uh, but, yeah, it's it should have been on Lifetime or something. Wow. Well, that that is just so disappointing. I mean, I, I understand that the box office has not been very good for the last month, month and a half. I understand that now... You know, Bond actually had a big opening, and Peanuts. Oh yeah, did like what seventy-five mil, I think. Yeah, they they both did extremely well and made up for some of those losses. But 
the fact that both of those movies are out there, you know, you'd think that at least something would have come out that was just even above mediocre uh, and not horrible. So that's truly disappointing. It was actually really funny because I saw this uh, last week or the week before because we had an early screening and uh, one of our friends went and saw it the day after Love the Coopers and he was like, oh, this movie's going to be horrible. And then afterwards he texted me like, actually, it wasn't that bad. It was like a decently made made for TV movie. I'm like, you're only saying that because you saw Love the Coopers yesterday and, and this one's so much better in comparison. He's like, <laughs> yeah, you're actually 100% right. <laughs> well, I am grateful that I was uh, in beautiful scenic Athens, Ohio on Monday <laughs> instead of in my screening of uh, Love the Coopers, which I gladly missed in retrospect. Yeah, it, it was... Ugh, I, we'll stop talking about Love the Coopers because I will I will go on a rant again. So um, let's just say don't go see that one. Uh, Mile American and the 33 are kind of eh. Um, we were trying to think of a good recommendation for this week, but like you said, you've been traveling. I've been busy with work. Uh, but you actually did come up with kind of an interesting I, recommendation, which is... I've got a recommendation. Go back and listen to last week's episode. Um <laughs> I, you know, I rarely am like, oh, wow, we, we really did a good job with this thing. I think last week, us talking about uh, the Peanuts movie and Inspector, uh, that was a really good episode. Go, go, uh, go listen to that. Yeah, so not, not to toot our own horn, but we are. Uh, every now and then we do have, have an episode that I think even we're proud of. And I know we're both our own harshest critics. So check it out. And then at the same time, if you haven't seen the Peanuts, it's great. Uh, I've actually kind of warmed up a bit more to the thought of Spectre. I'm still not changing my score, but again, like if you read our, our roundtable review on Big Shiny Robot, uh, a mediocre Bond movie, at least in my opinion, is better than no Bond movie. So yeah. at, least it was, at least it was fun. I had some exciting moments. So yeah, check out last week's episode if you haven't yet. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and then go listen, uh, go watch Peanuts or Spectre. So, uh, yeah, that'll do it for this week. Next week, everything's kind of afraid of the big movie, which is The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2. Darn right. Which, exactly, which finally finishes up the whole Hunger Games series. I think we're all pretty excited to see how that turns out, uh, especially having read the books. I know how it ends. Uh, I think we actually will have a lot to talk about with that. Uh, and the other big one is going to be Legend. It's a gangster biopic starring uh, Tom Hardy as dual roles. And then there's also The Night Before, which is the holiday comedy, naughty comedy, featuring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Seth Rogen, and Anthony Mackie. So, yeah, I'll do it for this week. Holiday movies, two holiday movies with Anthony Mackie back-to-back. Hopefully, this one is better than the last one. Uh, it, can, it, it can't be worse. <laughs> I'm very surprised. So, That's it for this week. Uh, We'll see you back here next week. Hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon. Everybody, man.